As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. This racing lifestyle ain't made for everybody. We're a special breed with special needs, but we all came apart. No friends on the track, but in the pits we know the truth. And this a way your life fits the only thing that we do. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss Hunter Patton and the Friday Night Hooker. Jed, how are you? Luke, I'm great. I really am. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't be better. To to be honest with you, coming off of the the uh, inaugural BT Labor Day 100K, uh, just a really strong weekend for footbrake racing, history making, if you will. And um, personally, you know, life's good. I, I I won't lie to you. I've dreamed of being a movie star, but that dream has that that ship has sailed. So other than that. You know, life is good, really good. And how about yourself? Yeah, we actually, uh, this, this show gets really off the rails for probably the last yeah. 30 minutes. I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and warn you now. And uh, yeah, actually off the air, you did talk about your movie star pursuits. Uh, yeah. In, yeah. So yeah. It didn't just, work out. <laughs> warning to the wise. Uh, just just be prepared that the last 30 minutes are fun uh, as long as you've got the right attitude. So, um, but today, to your point, Jed. Well, Luke, I, I think yeah. it's I think it's safe to say that 
I, I think we can sum it up by saying I fell a little short of becoming a, a movie star. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So <laughs> you're going to have to listen now to get the story. And when you get <laughs> to the show, you're going to be disappointed because you're not going to get the story. <laughs> but, um no, to your point, Jed, we've spent the last uh, three weeks here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast previewing the events of Labor Day weekend, namely the Labor Day 100K that, uh, that you co-promoted in Bristol and the Big Go, the U.S. Nationals, uh, which I participated in for a brief period of time, much uh, shorter period of time than I, had in, than I would have liked in Indianapolis. And uh, we basically spend the show today recapping uh, rehashing not only the uh, the storylines and the winners and the uh, top performance of those events, but also the the atmosphere, what they were like, uh, and and uh, kind of what went into it. So fun show from that respect, and then we do close it out with uh, one of our top fives, probably our, our most. Mm anticipated top five for a variety of reasons we got into uh our favorite like post race sayings those would be the the one-liners that show up say on the back of a dragster hood scoop or on the deck lid of a door car you know game over things like that uh and uh we we had far too much fun with that but just stick around and uh you'll enjoy it so anything dominating dominating performance by you by the way this is the first time i think i've won the top five Oh, you destroyed me. Crushed you. So yeah, stick around for that. I don't know if there's anything else to preface this with. I think we'd be best served to shut up and throw it to PJ North. I think I'm Lupagaki, better yet, Edmund. Don't let me catch you late or you'll get dropped right on your head, man. Three-day marathon, chasing all the gold. Best feeling in the world, that's the truth I'm always told. Wally Parks had a vision, I'm not sure that I was in it. But we changed with the times, that's not coincidental. Labor Day weekend is in the rear view. And Big Jed, this was a, I think every Labor Day weekend is big for most racers. This one in particular was a big weekend for each of us for very distinctly different reasons. Let's start with you and the Labor Day 100K, the richest event in footbreak history. Yeah, Luke, it was a, a really good time. You know, there was a, a lot of, I guess, nervous anticipation leading up to this because it being a hundred thousand to win foot brake race and <clears throat> the purse being 100 percent guaranteed uh, we had good numbers on pre-entries but still didn't know what was coming for the tens and wasn't sure uh, you know started getting some people backing out for various reasons on the 100k late and wasn't sure how the double rate would go in those things. So uh, I would be lying if I, if I didn't admit that we had, uh, we had a little anxiety leading up to it, but uh, in the end, everything turned out really well. We're very thankful for the crowd we got. It was, uh, it was awesome. We had a good test and tune session and gamblers race on Thursday, Friday, the car count for the 10 was 319. Um, it was 247 on Sunday for that 10 grander and the big show on Saturday had 275 and you know I, I was very lucky that I, I guessed it right but I had a lot of people asking me how your crowd's going to be leading up to the event and I said I, I'm feeling like the big one's going to be 275-ish. I uh, felt like I had a pretty good idea of the, of the uh, amount of people that would double at the gate and 
<clears throat> that worked out fairly well. So 275 was a good number for us. It was a it was a good sized crowd. It was an awesome day for foot brake racing, and um, you know it it ended very well on Saturday, and you know the whole event was great. We had a little rain Thursday, a little rain Friday, and it changed our schedule up a little bit, but the crowd was very manageable and it allowed us to um to make some adjustments and, and still finish at decent time to keep things rolling. So it was really good. I'm curious to hear what was the atmosphere like in the hundred grander? I mean, was it million dollar race Because I'm curious because as silly as it sounds in this day and age, like there's a lot of hundred granders, but there's never been a foot break hundred grander. And I would venture to guess like while you had your Brad Plords and your John Siegels and your Rick bears and Gage Birch, right. That are no stranger to racing for that kind of money. I would have to venture that at least half, perhaps more of your, that's the biggest purse that they've ever raced for. Like, I'm just wondering how electric Saturday was. Uh, most definitely, um, I would say well over half the crowd, Luke, had, had never raced for that kind of money before. You have some crossover racers that have gone to some very large purse events that had a bottom bulb uh, a component to it. And some crossover racers that hit the top quite often, you know, your Brad Plewards and your uh, John Siegels and those people. But for the most part, this was hardcore foot breakers that don't get the opportunity to do these things so i would say a good 75 percent plus of the crowd hadn't had never raced for that kind of money so the atmosphere you know i I probably didn't get the time or take the time that i needed to or wanted to to uh, look around and and get a feel for it but by the time it got late in the race it was, you know, it wasn't something I had to search for or watch for. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, everybody at the facility uh, wanted to see how it played out. The the staging lanes were starting to fill with people as the cars would come in the lanes and then ease forward to the racetrack, the, the water box area, you know, off to the right of it where everybody gathers at Bristol and the area where the tent normally stays up in those grandstands right there. Uh, in that first row of parking all of that had quite a bunch of people in it and it was um it was obvious that this was a big moment in foot break and then by the time the final was run and the winner was interviewed it was it was a heck of a scene uh, around him and his car and what he had just accomplished so pretty amazing pretty amazing reminiscent on your end or or would you compare it to like the inaugural race? Because I know that 50 in that day and age, like that had a similar buzz. Yeah. Uh, Luke, I would say uh, that back then that very first one was just as electric as this hundred grander, uh, you know, relative to the time that we're racing in, they probably meant about the same on the foot brake landscape. That 50 grander was something that you didn't see, you know, it had not happened before. Um, there was, there was the hundred grander that George Howard put on in 2006 fell a little short of it, but that was a, also an 80 car race with a very high entry fee and, and not a lot of promotion around it. We had quite a bit of promotion around that first WFC 50 grander. 
and you know the fact that two um you know i don't want to blow smoke up your skirt but the fact that two legends in the sport were competing for that fifty thousand didn't hurt matters either that that was extra electric back then and this one probably did not um go beyond that it probably didn't exceed it but it was as electric for sure and you know obviously i think everybody knows by now who won it but uh if you want me to i'll run down the results real quick absolutely um so thursday started like we always do had a test and tune had a, a three thousand win gamblers race and charlie lockhart the guy that spends a lot of time in winter circles all over the place got the win over our own ryan gleghorn uh, ryan's one of the announcers on our staff and uh, also a racer as everybody knows he was driving another announcer's vega wagon jake hodges uh, hook and hillbilly so those guys started their week very well and with a runner up and charlie lockhart started like charlie lockhart always does uh friday's 10k was won by mark philpot uh, got the win over Randy Biddle Jr. Mark laid down a perfect reaction time in that 10K final. That was pretty cool. Biddle was a very respectable 14, but 14 behind. Mark uh, Mark was able to have a, a, a create a deficit that Randy couldn't overcome. Really good 10K final. We uh, we always try to have a Friday night gamblers race, and we started that thing. Got some rain. Had to delay it to saturday the plan was to run the 100k on saturday <clears throat> excuse me and uh finish the the gamblers race afterwards had uh, a couple of things happen saturday that caused us some issues uh an oil down um had some crazy happenings outside of the racing action and just um got to a point in the night it got really cool Luke, uh, we, we started experiencing some cool evenings and mornings Saturday and Sunday and the dew was falling real heavy so we had to stop things uh, Friday night because of the rain we had to stop the gamblers race after the hundred on Saturday because of dew we had to finish it on Sunday and Sunday morning uh, nasty Nick Hastings got the win over Jacob Rutledge as we finished that gamblers race so that was uh, pretty cool and again couple of guys that have spent some uh, some time in winter circles and certainly uh, Jacob has won on at the WFC he won back and won 10 grander back in the 10 50 10 days and nasty Nick uh, if you can find somewhere he hasn't won uh, please that would be news on the podcast as well he, he obviously spends a lot of time in winter circles so he got that gamblers win and did that uh, Sunday morning so back to Saturday that was obviously the day of the hundred grander and a day that we wanted to, to stay focused on that. And, um, Luke, it, we had 275. It, it, the race really had a nice flow to it. But as we started getting to the point where we could tell where it was going to fall, you know, it was going to fall 25, 13, seven, four, and of course the final. So I'd been talking to Steve for a round or two prior to that. And I said, you know, we get to these big races and there's always some kind of deal made and you start getting a lot of people with a lot of opinions and that's just the racers. And then you got people outside of that that are telling them I do this and I do that. So leading up to the race, this was the plan. But when it got to the point where we could see how it was going to fall, 
and be able to tell what kind of purse we were going to be paying to those last few entries. We, Steve and I discussed it, and he went and put two or three splits together. It was actually three splits, three options. It wasn't a thing where we were going to run out in the staging lanes at any time saying, hey, guys, we got this if y'all want to talk. It was just something that we kept to ourselves. And if we got to the point where they were in the lanes and we could see they wanted to talk, we had a plan. So they got to 13 cars and the guys, the racers said, yeah, we, we'd like to discuss what we have here. Uh, so Steve had already put those three options together. So I gathered up. There was 13 cars with only 11 drivers as two of them, uh, Nathan Sexton and Kevin Pollard, were both still doubled. So I gathered up those 11 guys and told them, these 11 racers only, if you're not discussing your your choice here for the split, then whoever's representing you will be the only one for you in the room. It's going to be Steve, myself, and the 11 drivers. So 13 of us went in the conference room with no other individuals in there with us. Said, guys, this is what we've done. We put three options together. If you like any of them, say it. If you don't like any of them, say it. But if one guy doesn't want to do any of these and you have something you want to do, say it. But these are three pretty good options. So there was a, a number that that the race would pay at the top. And then obviously it flowed at the bottom a little heavier or a little lighter based on what was at the top. The middle option, the very first racer that we handed it to in the room said, I like this option. Handed it to the person next to them. They agreed. And that trend continued all the way through racer number 11. And they agreed on it. And we went back out in the staging lanes and let them race. The, the whole process, once we went in the room, took three minutes or less. It was super quick, super easy. And it was super private. So That's awesome. I thought that I thought that was really cool. Yeah, if any promoters are listening, like to me, and I don't want to blow blow smoke, just like you just said, like that's the playbook going forward. That's the way this should happen. I, I've always been one. Like I feel like the numbers should stay private. Like it's the business of the racers that are in and nobody else's. If they want to share that, that's fine. I've had some pushback on that, and I can hear the argument the other way. That's fine. But I think the big thing that you eliminate by doing it the way that you did it, Jed, is you get, you eliminate the armchair quarterbacks, the outside influences that want to be a fly on the wall and, <laughs> and just tend to complicate the entire process. The only people that need to be involved are the racers in or whoever is handling the business end of it for the racers that are in. So kudos for you for, to you guys for isolating those individuals and having a civil conversation. And to your point, once you get the right people in the room, it shouldn't take long. It didn't. And actually when we came out of the room, a couple of people asked me who said no. And I said, well, nobody said no, because if somebody said no, we would have just raced. I asked them all in the staging lanes after they started trying to gather are you interested in talking? And all said, yes. So we took all, if somebody had said no, we, we wouldn't even went in the room. So nobody said no, it was very easy and very simple. And, and it was literally three minutes or less. And so we get back out there and we race track was still good and warm and everything was going as it should. And in the end, 
uh, I think this is old news, but Caleb Ellison, which we uh, named the next big thing here on the podcast. I don't even know when. My goodness, we're on episode 196. So can, we, even... can we claim a podcast bump three years? <laughs> oh, most definitely. Most definitely. If we can't, we still will. But uh, Caleb, obviously, a very talented young man, uh, took Greg Hines Camaro and won the final round over probably the hottest driver in foot brake racing in 2020, and that's Nathan Sexton. Uh, we all heard about Andrew Adkins driving his uh, Mopar from Ohio to Bristol, going 790s and winning a 10 grander at the WFC. Nathan Sexton's got a, a little uh, streetcar uh, Mustang that goes 840s, 850s, and he um, he just ran himself in the loose rocker final. If you listen to the podcast that, that Michael Beard and I did, uh, we, we talked quite a bit about that. Uh, 15K final, he ran himself in, and then he comes back to runner up the, the largest pan foot brake race in history. So it's good to be Nathan Sexton right now, real good. And uh, he's gained a, a pretty good bit of weight lately in cash. But uh, Caleb Ellison was the man of the hour, and uh, it was a – it was an awesome scene. Uh, a lot of people there loving on him, congratulating him. We had a, a really good interview where we just sat on the wall and chatted. And um, he was uh, very humble and uh, thanked God for the opportunity, which I thought was awesome, as did Nathan Sexton. Uh, just you could tell it was just happened to be two young men that are ultra talented and had their head on straight. Just really seemed to. Uh, be able to control themselves in what was a really big moment. They they seem to have their emotions in check and certainly um, performed extremely well. And it was just a really cool scene. And Sunday, the 10K that we wrapped up with on Sunday uh, was uh, was a really good race. And a couple of all-stars, again, made the final round. Gage Birch, which uh, we've talked about him uh, at, at length many times here on the show. Certainly a guy that's going to be a force to be reckoned with, top or bottom, for many, many years to come. Got the win over a guy that has performed very well for many, many years and, and had his name at the top of the all-star list quite a few times. That's Slick Rick Bear. So um, all in all, it was uh, it was really cool, Luke. It was, it was cool to be a part of it. It was um, certainly humbling to – to know that you was that I, you know I was part of the team that was being able to put the race on, that um, was doing something or, or part of something that had never been done before, and you know the people there were very appreciative. It was it was a great atmosphere. Everybody's attitude was excellent. Um, just excited to be there, and I heard many 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 of those customers asking about next year we're going to do it again we we really want to do it again um that's yet to be determined uh, we'll, we'll figure that out very soon and figure out what the the 2021 schedule looks like but for now uh, we just uh, we'll just feel really good and proud about what was accomplished by not us but racers and sponsors and bristol dragway staff that worked hard our coburg racing promotion staff just uh, really thankful for everybody that, that helped make it happen. And, you know, who knows what happened going forward, but uh, we're, uh, 
we're definitely excited about the future of foot brake racing. Uh, I can see that, that these guys are, are looking for more, want to do more, and they'll support more. So we'll see how it goes. Come on, Jed. We're three days removed. Break some news here on the podcast. We're doing another one. We're doing three of them next year. We will do another race next year. <laughs> uh, no, I'll uh, – everything aside, uh, congratulations on an excellent event. I did want to just circle back and, and unpack those two finalists, man. Like, um, I feel like it's the the next generation and it's somewhere between the, the now and the next. Like, those guys are doing it. Um, and, and let's – I really want to focus on Nathan Sexton because I'm fascinated by him after listening to, to, to Beard talk about him here on the show. But let's start with Caleb, the winner. I mean, that's a young man that has proven his worth in a wide variety of vehicles. Um, uh, foot brake, trans brake off the bottom, like seemingly can do it all and, and is kind of the, the Swiss Army knife in terms of like it doesn't seem like it takes him long to adapt. How often had he driven the car that he wanted? Um, that's a good question, Luke. It, it couldn't be much. I don't think Heinz has had that. I, I know they had it at the WFC. Um, not sure how much it was raced prior to that, but I would say that car's in Alabama and Caleb's in Ohio. I would say it, it has to be less than half a dozen times anyway. Right. Is that a legal stock eliminator car? Uh, I don't think it's got the stock eliminator engine combination in it, but I don't know the answer to that. No, just impressive. And then Sexton, like, I'll be completely honest. I'm a little bit out of the footbrake loop. I hadn't heard that name until I listened to the show that you did with Michael Beard, which is an, an interesting side note. Like, I never listen to the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast because normally I, I know exactly what we talked about. Like, I was here, right? But I listen to most of the shows that you do solo. And, uh, and Beard's always fun. So, but I listened to that and I'm like, wow, that's Nathan Sexton. But I thought when Beard basically called the shot for him, I'm like, well, that's the kiss of death. That kid's not going to do anything at the hundred grander. Right. Yeah. And then in large, not only is he in the final, he has two entries in at 13 and you can speak to this better than I, because I have not witnessed this in person, but this is a, you said early to mid 20 something year old young man in a basically a hot street car it's a it's a mustang that goes like mid eights right yeah like 840s 850s killing it i mean we you we did this a little bit off air but you can just crunch the numbers and i mean he's legitimately won take home put in the bank fifty thousand dollars in the last what two three months (laughs) something along those lines not too bad it's impressive yes it is and again a humble humble young man with his head on straight It, it was it was pretty cool. No, the, the cost-benefit ratio is, is strong. It's impressive. That's, uh, that's cool. And, and just the way I missed both of the post-race interviews. I watched the final. Or my, I watched the final from the driver's seat, my wife in the passenger seat. We were, we were on the road Saturday night. Um, but just the way that you talk about those post-race interviews, it, it feels as though the sport is in good hands. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, it, was a, it was an example of you know, what you can do with uh, Nathan Sexton was an example of what you can do with pretty much anything in bracket racing when you work hard and, and try your best to make whatever you have as good as you can make it. And, you know, the kid uses some driving skill too. He's not, 
he's not just jumping in a streetcar, turning it loose on the starting line, hoping that it runs the dial in. He's, there's some strategy in his game, and it was impressive to watch. And certainly Caleb Ellison, a guy we called the next big thing many, many episodes ago, uh, just continues to show up on big stages. So uh, foot brake racing is definitely in great hands going forward. And, you know, I, I'm hoping that somebody sees what Nathan Sexton and Andrew Adkins are accomplishing and helps grow our sport through those type of cars it ain't easy you're not just going to put a, a decent carburetor on your eight second hot rod and show up and be great and competitive but if you work on your stuff and figure out what it needs and what it takes to be good these guys are showing that anybody can get out here and, and compete in what is would be deemed unconventional these days not an alcohol breathing 1432 tired you know back half car so, you know, I think the hand, the, the like you said, the sport is in great hands. Yeah, no, just as you said, it's, um, we've said it before, and I know that it sh- sounds cliche, but that is what bracket racing is all about. It's, it's the winning, the winning drive, the winner is not supposed to be determined by the cubic dollar. And to see stories like that, you know, uh, underfunded or, or budget type teams and drivers that are, winning particularly at the highest levels, uh, it's really cool. And, and I think overall it is absolutely a wake-up call and a, and a great thing for the sport as a whole. Yeah, agreed. While you guys were at Bristol, uh, I was, uh, what, would, what would Indy be, 10, 12 hours away uh, at the Big Go, U.S. Nationals. And you previewed the Labor Day 100K, you and Michael Beard. Uh, a week later, Kevin McKenna and I previewed the, the Big Go, the U.S. Nationals. So – we had the the groundwork set the foundation and one of the big things that kevin and i discussed we kind of discussed the the storylines sportsman storylines uh, of indy preceding indy and um and one of the big things was would indy feel like indy uh, i'll get more to that later it was definitely still indy like it still had the prestige it still had i still had the butterflies in the stomach like it it felt like a big deal it was different um but it, it was obviously still indy let's start with the, the top performances, the winners. And I don't, I don't think there's anywhere to start, but the Emmons family. Wow. I mean, damn. I mean, what, a, what a storybook ending and a weekend that those guys will never forget. And obviously the, the, the Emmons, there's the, the triplets and, and speedy, um, no stranger to success, multiple national event wins, a couple of world championships. Like they, they've essentially done it all in this sport. They've never done this. They, the, the three triplets are there, each running stock and super stock. I believe they had six entries total. But all they entered was stock and super stock. So the best case scenario is that they leave the U.S. Nationals with two Wallies. And you know what the Emmons family took back to Houston, Texas? Everything they could. <laughs> Absolutely. Jerry Emmons, stock eliminator winner. Terry Emmons, super stock winner. Uh, I, I, just, I text back and forth with Jerry just a little bit, but I, I can imagine that those guys are still pinching themselves. Just what an incredible ending to an incredible weekend on one of, if not the biggest stages in our sport. And for a class racer, undoubtedly the biggest stage on our sport. Um, really cool to, to see those guys uh, do what they did at, at that level. Um, impressive stuff. And it, it should absolutely lead any discussion on Indy, in my opinion. Um, Super comp winner, 
Troy Williams Jr. There was probably an, another guy that's obviously no stranger to the winner's circle. That might have been like the the one thing that you could say that Troy's never done. He never won Indy. He won a handful of NHRA national events. In fact, if you could pick two things that Troy's never done, he, did, he had never won Indy and he's never won an NHRA world championship. He may have just checked both of those boxes. Yeah. I, Luke, I was even surprised to hear that he went knowing that, you know, there was a, a big money top bulb race um, probably a little bit before that. He, he could have gotten there a little easier, but obviously Troy's chasing something. And when Troy chases things, he typically catches them. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, he was, uh, in fact, I don't know that he ever said it to me, but I think there was parts of the weekend where he was like, what am I doing here? It was literally the SFG event at Columbus was three hours away. Right. And, uh, and, and could run for 10 times the purse probably of what he ended up winning at Indy. But to your point, uh, he committed early in the season to uh, to making a run at a Super Comp Championship. He's only done that once before in his career. Uh, I don't remember the year, early 2000s. He finished third, right? Uh, it's not like he came up way short. And this win, not only is it the the granddaddy of them all, it is the the most prestigious uh, you know national event, national event Wally that you can capture. It's in Super Comp, where it's eight rounds. I believe it was the only class that went eight rounds. And um, it absolutely, I was just looking at the points, puts Troy in the driver's seat for this year's Lucas Oil World Championship. He's 100-plus points in the lead right now. Now, this year, I actually literally just looked at the point standings, I think, for the first time. Um, it feels different this year. Like, the structure's changed. And now, NHRA seems to have everything pretty well set. Like, it, it the, the, the remaining schedule feels solid. And now I think you can begin to plan and or watch with a little bit closer eye. I think it's been really difficult to get into the points chase, at least from afar. I mean, maybe that's easy for me to say because I, I haven't been involved in it as a racer this year, but I haven't followed it at all. And that's, you guys know, if you listen to this, like I, this is the time of year I completely nerd out. Right. And just get oh, in. No doubt. So I think that's coming. Um, look at it and like I say Troy is absolutely in the driver's seat after tacking on 115 points with an eight round win at Indy so uh, huge kudos to him super gas winner Ray Sawyer I don't think we can say enough about the Sawyer family in general and uh, Ray obviously former uh, NHRA world champion his son Mike uh, the championship has eluded him, but I, I would say he is the most illustrious super gas racer to not win a championship, multiple top tens. We went through that, like the, the decade. And I think he had finished in the top 10 of super gas, like nine out of the 10 years of the 2010s, uh, a couple of second place finishes in there as well. And then, uh, his, uh, I believe it's younger brother, Brian Sawyer, very, very successful in the super street ranks. They've all got a rich heritage dating back to, uh, you know, the bracket classes at Epping, like it's a very successful family. Um, and just added another marquee win to or trophy to the, to the mantle, uh, race oil winner in super gas. Another one, uh, that I think is, is a, obviously a first ballot hall of famer, but I don't know, even in, in Danny Nelson's heyday, if he, if he had the success that he's had over the last calendar year, Danny Nelson has owned Top Dragster from about, I guess, a little over a calendar year, from about July of 2019 to current. No one has won at the level that Danny's won. And I think the, the icing on the cake, the cherry on top of that 15-month uh, performance 
is uh, is Danny's win at Indy. Uh, fitting, I think, that Danny Nelson wins Indy with the one on the scoop. Yeah. Jason Cohn was your winner in competition eliminator. I believe that's his second Indy title. I know that the first one was uh, was that bizarre and very controversial final with uh, Scotty Richardson years ago. Uh, Jason backed that up with another competition eliminator win. The Super Street final was impressive. Um, my man, Mark Smith, who has tore it up this year, he won the divisional event in Columbus and then followed that up with the, uh, the sports nationals win at Columbus and super street, uh, coming all on the heels of, uh, of, I think he finished second in division three points last season. He drove all the way to the final in his familiar Mustang where he lost to Ray Miller. And it's not Ray Ray. It's not Ray Ray's dad. This is Ohio Ray Miller, right? Uh, Ray Miller lays down nine total in the super street final to uh to claim the indie super street wally which is uh is a new ring to it that's the first time that super street has been contested at the u.s nationals probably likely the last time certainly potentially the last time uh so that's a, that was a special wally for all super street competitors particularly the the 48 or 50 that were on the grounds Ray Miller goes home with that. And then uh, the top sportsman winner at Indy, Dusty Meyer, uh, driving the pickup truck from Division 5. So that was uh, the big event, right? That was the typical Monday finish at Indy. It was actually late Sunday night this year. Um, but those were the, the, the champions from the big go. In addition, uh, something that just, if it's possible to elevate the U.S. Nationals at all, this year got elevated with, the Jags All-Stars competition moving to Indy, something that uh, McKenna and I talked about on last week's show. Quick results from there. Um, All-Stars were contested Friday afternoon. And you can't say All-Stars, Jed, without saying Slate Cummings. Like they go <laughs> in the same sentence. Slate uh, was the stock eliminator winner this year. That was his fifth, yes, fifth victory in prestigious Jags All-Star. Wow. Uh, I mean, Slate Awesome. And, and another guy that is super versatile, uh, has done it on the biggest stages in bracket racing, has done it off the bottom stock, super stock, uh, the, the 90 classes, like Slate can do it all. But as successful as he is, uh, something about All-Stars time, it just flips a switch. And um, normally he does it in, in, uh, in very entertaining fashion. Like I've watched Slate win several All-Stars holding like two tenths. He flipped the script this year. He got a little tricky. He held it on the floor at least one round. Oh, um, good for Slate. I didn't think that was possible. Slate's pretty savvy. You got to watch him. So, uh, but yeah, five All-Stars win for Slate Cummings. Uh, another guy that just shows up and bows up in All-Stars competition and now trails Slate by just one victory, one Trevor Larson. Picked up his fourth All-Stars crown over the weekend. We got the Super Comp win. Defeated uh, defending champion Christopher Dodd. And Trevor was nasty. I believe his worst light in the three rounds of competition was 10. He was 10 total in the final. Um, put together a really strong performance. And again, that's four total All-Stars wins for Trevor. If you remember, he is still the only driver to date to double up in the All-Stars in the same year. That was a couple of years back up at Joliet. Supergas All-Star, defending world champion, Jeremy Mason. Top sportsman, Alan Firestone, uh, over Kynan Dinkle in the final round. That was another awesome race, uh, especially in top sportsman. They were, like, both teen and dead on. Firestone got a close win. Our man, Kyle Rizzoli, winner of the Jags All-Stars in Superstock. He defeated Mike, Mike Crutchfield. Crutchfield, another one who's had a lot of success in yeah. that event. Um, Alabama racer. Go ahead. <laughs> Alabama racer. It's about time we talked about one of those. 
Division five, Christopher Thies. Uh, Christopher, uh, I think he was like two or three totals in the semis, one round that I watched. Another one that put together really impressive performance throughout. Competition Eliminator. How about that Competition Eliminator final? Just the names, Craig Bourgeois over Frank Aragona Jr. Um, I guess, especially without Rampy in comp, I guess you could make the argument for Bruno Massel. You could probably make the argument for Jason Cohn. You could pretty easily make the argument that those are the two biggest names in competition eliminator in this day and age. And they lived up to the hype in that final. Uh, Aragona turns it fourth out red. Bourgeois, meanwhile, tooth out green. So they were bowed up and ready for that competition eliminator final. Um, Cody Weber was the, uh, the other winner in the All-Stars, top dragster winner over Victoria Johnson. Cody from Division 7, uh, Victoria from Division Jed, as you know, in addition to the individual titles at the, uh, in the Jags All-Stars, a big, big part of it is the team championship. And for the third time, and I'm going to say five years, uh, because it was Division 5 had been in a long drought, had never won. Uh, the Jags All-Stars team championship until relatively recently. I'm going to say within the last five, six years, they won their first. This was their third. Uh, Division five has, uh, once they figured out how to win that, they just kept winning it. Uh, and on the show of Trevor Larson, uh, Christopher Thies, Alan Firestone, uh, Division five claimed its third uh, Jags All-Stars team championship. So to, congratulations to each of the members of that team. And, and I, I think it's, uh, I think each division takes a great deal of pride in that. Like, oh yeah. Congratulations to division five as a whole. Very stout. Uh, three in five years, three in six years or three in seven years or whatever it is. Like it's uh, that, that shows a lot of talent in that division. And um, as we know, the names you mentioned that, that represent them, it's, it's obvious why they are so competitive. That's a, that's a tough group out there. It was interesting because I think coming in, just a, a big picture, you know, zooming out just a little bit, I think coming in, we're all really excited because Indy's Indy, and then you're going to combine the All-Stars with it, and it's going to be awesome. And it was. Like the, the, the Friday All-Stars portion was as exciting, as special as it's ever been. Like it was cool. The one thing that I'll say in retrospect, however, is I feel like just with the buzz of indie between the sportsmen, the pros, the Hemi challenge, the factory stock, everything that goes on at Indy, by the time that we crowned Sunday's champions and the press releases started coming out Monday and social media posts and everything else, I feel like the All-Stars kind of got lost in the shuffle. Like I just felt it was awesome in the moment, but now, whereas at Joliet, the all-stars champion, I think carries the weekend at Indy. Like somebody's going to win Indy two days later. I felt like in retrospect, again, that the all-stars got a little bit overshadowed. And I I think from that standpoint, and again, I wasn't involved in it. You talked to people that were, I think I'm actually a fan of separating them in the future as odd as that sounds, because it, it just adds to the prestige at Indy, but Indy is just so full I, I feel like the All-Stars deserves to be the feature of its own event. Yeah, so uh, is there discussions about this being the format for years to come? Or I have no idea. I, had just, I, I feel like coming in, most sports and racers, myself included, were like, oh, man, that's such a natural fit. They should just, they should have the All-Stars at Indy every year. And after it happened, I, I, don't, I don't know that I would be on board with that. Okay, I understand from there. So – 
Yeah, I can see why you'd want to keep those separate. It, it definitely, uh, you don't want, that's a major accomplishment. Making the All-Stars, which goes back to Slate. You talk about Slate winning five years or five times. I mean, how many times do you have to make it to win five? So, I mean, if you qualify for the All-Stars five times in your career, that is an accomplishment. Yeah, unbelievable. So, <laughs> so making it's a big deal. Winning it is a huge deal. And then, as you said, two days later, someone overshadows that by winning, which is a huge deal to win Indy, obviously. It's big. So, yeah, you definitely don't want anybody to leave there um, forgotten or overshadowed for such a huge accomplishment in sportsman drag racing. So I would agree with separating them. And then I just wanted to, to shed a little bit of light uh, as someone that was on the premises, at least for the first few days, Indy, my Indy didn't last very long. Um, when Kevin McKenna and I were on a week ago talking about the, the biggest potential storylines for sportsman racing at Indy, the number one for me was, will Indy feel like Indy? And in, on one hand, it absolutely was. Like, the, you could cut the tension with a knife. I had the butterflies in the stomach. It felt like a different event, like Indy has always felt. And, and again, I was only involved for the first couple of rounds. So I can imagine Sunday, particularly as things are, are getting down to the wire, that that atmosphere was as electric as ever. Because it just, it has never felt like another race. And it didn't feel like another race. It was still Indy. It was still unique. It was still special. 100%. But this year was different. It was not along those lines, but just the fact like 2020 has been so bizarre top to bottom. And this race had its, had its quirks that just made you realize like, it's just not racing Indy. This, this isn't the same Indy because racing isn't quite the same racing, at least not on that level. Okay. I'll take a, I'll take a two specific examples. So Kevin and I talked about this a little bit last week. The, the mass thing is, is weird because <laughs> when we entered the race as sports and racers, and I assume this is the, the protocol is probably not much different for the pros. Um, if we get this massive, I mean like 30 page pamphlet of COVID protocol, this is the way that the race is going to be run. And in it, among uh, the other things that it says, are that, uh, that masks are to be worn basically any time that you're outside of your truck, trailer, motorhome, right? Um, so I'm like, wow, that's going to be different because it, to that point, like I had not, the bracket races, as we've talked about, Big Jed, that I had been to uh, maybe 5% of the, the, the people in attendance were, were masked. Sure. And so I thought, okay, well, that's the way it's going to be. That's the way it's going to be. And I have zero problem with that. Like I, I'm one that I, um, I don't know, like you get so many conflicting uh, uh, viewpoints on this. But like, I, I'm kind of a, the believer that like, okay, the, the masks probably help, right? And by and large, beyond that, I just feel like if I'm in a, a circle of 50 people and one of those people is concerned about COVID and would feel better if I and everyone else in the group wore a mask, like I'll wear a mask just to make them feel better, right? I'm cool with that. At the same time, like I don't have enough conviction in my beliefs to be the only guy in the staging lanes wearing a mask, right? 
So I'm going to, I wish I had more conviction one way or the other. I just don't. Right. So I'm going to kind of follow the crowd. And it was just bizarre. Like the way that it actually played out. I told you the way that the rules were written. The way that it actually played out was this. If you are in any type of situation where you could be caught on camera or in a photo, you have to wear a mask. Basically, when you entered the restricted area, there was someone checking your badge and someone making sure that you were wearing your mask. Outside of that, whatever. <laughs> there, was, there was maybe 5% masks throughout the pits. And then even in the staging lanes, maybe 50-50. And it, it, was, it was fine. It was just awkward because I found myself, and this seems to be a microcosm for 2020 for me, you just find yourself thinking about all of these things that you'd never had to think about before. And I constantly for three days was thinking, should I have my mask on now? Should I take it off now? But he's not wearing a mask. Should I, ah, just complete. <laughs> I was just in flux. Right. And I know that I say that, like I talked to other competitors who were thinking the same thing. And if we were feeling that there were spectators seeing that, like it, it's just awkward. And it makes me think more too. I realize the way that the rules are written, that that's a liability thing. Oh yeah. It's so, it's such a show. You, you mean, and I, I kind of said this when NHRA first returned to competition, I thought that they were very intentional in all of the social media coverage. Everyone that you saw was masked. Like that is the image that we're putting forth, but it's such a front because that's not the way that the event was at all. But that's the way coverage is. And it just makes me think like, okay, you see uh, the sporting events, like say in the NBA bubble, when the cameras aren't on, what are those guys doing? You know, and, and the, the politicians, like when, when they go, when they go to, to dinner with their constituents, like, I, I don't know, it just makes me question everything. I'm like, how much of everything that we believe, because I live a pretty sheltered life, Jed, right? So I'm getting a lot of this information through the internet or through the television. And I'm like, man, is all of this as big a front as what I just witnessed in person. I don't know. It just, it made me think and it was, but it was awkward. It's not just racers. Luke. The, the whole world is looking for one reason not to wear a mask. That's all we need. Any of us. And, and I'm, I'm sitting here with my hand raised by myself at home right now, but I'm with you. we just, we need to pick out one reason why we shouldn't wear a mask and we don't want it on. So uh, that's just the way life is right now. The, uh, not just at the track. Not unique to racing at all. It, like what we saw at the U.S. Nationals was a, a microcosm of society, right? And that's that's what I'll get to in a minute. Other thing that was different, weird, perhaps even a bit unsettling. There were times, Jed, that I was not sure whether I was at the U.S. Nationals or the Republican National Convention. Like the Trump signage was overwhelming. And let me be completely clear. Whatever your, if you have enough conviction in your own beliefs, whether they be political, social justice, whatever the case may be, if you have enough conviction in your beliefs to use whatever platform you have to, you know, as a, as a megaphone for those convictions, more power to you. Like that is absolutely, I think, what our country's founded upon, right? So I don't have a problem with 
the NBA and the Players Association and their Black Lives Matter movement. I don't have a problem with NHRA racers and, um, you know, Trump signage everywhere. I don't even have a problem with NFL players kneeling for the anthem. Like, I, I don't agree, but I, I, I'm beginning to understand where you're coming from. And I, and I realize that we all look through, look at life through our own unique lens, right? I guess my my fear and a little bit of what I saw at Indy and and it resonated through social media as well was not like I said I don't have any problem with the conviction in in whatever belief you have what I saw was a lot of mm, judgment the other way like okay it felt like like 80% of the field has a has a Trump decal in the car like it was overwhelming right and it just felt like if you weren't part of that click, like it was judgmental. And you'd see the posts on social media. Like I just saw a lot of hate and it wasn't, it was as if it wasn't like, Hey, we're just going to be steadfast here in our beliefs. It was, if you don't agree, then you're an idiot. And that's where I had a little bit of a problem with it. Right. And that's where I have a problem with any of it. It's like, there's just so much, there's so much divisiveness in our country as a whole right now, whether it is black versus white, the haves versus the have nots, masks versus no masks, politically the right versus the left, like it's completely okay to have your own beliefs for your own reasons. Like I believe that's what our country is built upon, but just because your neighbor doesn't agree doesn't make them an idiot. And I just, again, I, I, I don't know, it, it was interesting. And I guess my whole takeaway from all of this was it's fine all the way around it just like it kind of bummed me out because i feel like for all my life racing was the escape from all of the bs of reality and right now we need an escape more than ever right and it just kind of bummed me out that i'm like no this is just a microcosm of society like it's not any different here inside these walls and I, that's not that's not a a knock it's just, like I say, it just kind of bummed me out. I'm like, oh, man, this, it, just, it just took a little bit of fun out of it. So, Wait, Let's be real here. The, the NHRA created that movement at Indy based on their reaction. Totally. To, I do agree with that, yes. To Bo Butner. Um, you know, not reluctant to show his decals or his signage on their their program on their tv their fox program so it's human nature anytime you tell us what we can and can't do well if you tell me i can't <laughs> I'm, this had nothing to do with political platforms or political views this had to do with showing you if you're going to tell me i can't i'm going to show you i can mm -hmm. so yeah. I think that's where a lot of it came from. That that whole reaction they had to Bo Butner or, or lack of reaction they had to Bo Butner was what what generated that movement in Indy. I mean, they were on the biggest drag racing platform on earth and what better time to express yourself and and you know, kick rocks at the people that said you can't than the I don't, US Nationals. I don't know the the legalities of uh uh, of particular because I've heard and read some different things about advertising and television and you kind of have to walk a fine line there I have no idea but I would just say from 
a practical standpoint, I think NHRA got that very wrong. And, and again, I don't, I don't, there, there may be a very good reason for them doing handling it the way that they did. I would say that as a, as a sanctioning body, as a, as a league and association, you don't want to, and certainly do not need to take a stand one way or the other. It's not as if NHRA is going to endorse either presidential candidate, right? But at the same time, I think you can do that, remain neutral as a sanctioning body, but allow, allow doesn't seem like the right word, not hinder the individuals that make up your sport from expressing their own opinion. Yeah. And that I think is obviously what rubbed a lot of people, myself included, the wrong way. And to your point, probably was like throwing gasoline on the fire to get no the, this just overwhelming, whoa, like Republican National Convention feel at the U.S. Nationals. And this is obviously a vendetta against anyone named Bo, because Bo Butner, you know, was big part of this. Now, I can't tell this story on the podcast, but Bo Kenny fell victim to the NHRA and how they manage or monitor what you put on the side of your car. And I can't tell my encounter with Bo Kenny on this show because we'd have to put it in a different category. But I mean, obviously if you're named Bo and you're racing in the HRA, they got a little something against you. They don't like how you express yourself. I think you know who Bo Kenny is. I'm going to, again, don't know the details. I'm going to say NHRA might've had a little bit stronger leg to stand on okay <laughs> like there are <laughs> easy you know that whole <laughs> just the way you said that <laughs> so yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think they did so, but yeah no it is a fine line when you when you try to censor really anything from <laughs> your competition base which are ultimately your customers i i like I say, my gut instinct is to say that the initial uh, handling of that was wrong. But again, I'm not in those boardrooms. I don't know the potential ramifications, but uh, I, I do think that that could have been handled better. And, and I think it would have absolutely changed the atmosphere at Indy. Oh, it's a money thing, Luke. You know what's driving all that. Somebody somewhere high up that's, that's pumping in major dollars to the NHRA or to Fox said, nah. Yeah. Not on my show, you're not. You're probably right. And they had to follow the money. It's, we all know what's driving these things. Speaking of a, a money thing, and I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's, it's way out of our realm, but it's been quite the hot topic uh, on internet forums really since we left Indy, uh, and that is the massive cuts to uh, the pro prize money at the remaining national events this season. I assume you saw this? Uh, most definitely, and... Uh, you know, those things, are, this is getting blown a little out of proportion, I believe. Uh, everybody's, you know, wanting them to not go. Those guys weren't racing for the money. Okay, let's let's make that clear. The, the, the money that they were winning at these events was not changing lives in these categories. So I don't think they care a whole lot. I don't think the competitors care very much about this change. While... It's not something they would propose themselves, 
I don't think it's going to keep them from coming to the track. So I just want to get that out and open. I tend to think the same thing. I, um, obviously I don't think NHRA ever wanted this to get out. I think it was inevitable that it would be leaked. Um, what we're seeing, uh, my understanding is that, uh, like the nitro categories, it was $50,000 to win a national event, uh, prior to COVID or, or really, I think they extended that through Indy even, uh, it's gonna be $15,000 to win. So it's a pretty massive drop off pro stock. I think was 25. It's gonna be six grand to win, uh, going forward. Uh, and that's sticker shock. And I would imagine that if you're a professional competitor, you're not like ecstatic about that but you had to figure that's coming, right? I mean, the pro professional categories, the one thing that is, is thriving in our world right now is sportsman bracket racing, big dollar bracket racing specifically. Well, big dollar bracket racing is basically 100% participant driven. And it just so happens that our segment of the economy, by and large, you know, with few exceptions, has been relatively unaffected by the events of you know the last what seven months and it's strong and we're going racing and <laughs> the fields are you know in most cases record numbers and the purses are uh, inflated accordingly the nhra professional categories is not 100 percent, but largely subsidized by spectator involvement we haven't had any fans in the stands to this point, right? With the exception of the handful of, uh, of national events. And even at that, I think Indy this past week was a max 50% capacity. It certainly wasn't a full set of grandstands. I don't know the details of the remaining NHRA national events, but I would assume that they're all operating at some type of limited capacity. And even if they're not, like I think Gateway here near us has the, the blessing to sell all the tickets that they want to sell. It's a tough sell right now. It's, I just don't think, I think as we've talked about before, there is a segment of the population that is not ready to sit shoulder to shoulder with a bunch of people that you don't know. And then there is a segment of the, the population that is over it and is absolutely willing to do that, but doesn't want to wear a mask all day. And NHRA says, if you're going to come, you have to wear a mask. Like, I just don't know how much that overlaps and how much is left. And as a result, it's not fair. Like these purses are what, 30% of what they were. I think you're going to have about 30% capacity in the stands. Like I get back to my initial point. I don't think the pro teams are ecstatic about this, but I strongly doubt that it came as a huge surprise. Yeah. I wouldn't think that this was expected by them. And uh, there's another segment uh, of, individual that you left out and that's uh, people that have been financially impacted negatively yeah, by, by all this that, that can't buy the tickets these are these are not people that are spending a lot of disposable income like like we do going to the races and buying fuel and tires and all of that stuff this is these are people that dream of getting to get out there and do that and they're uh, somewhat financially strapped at times a lot of the, the crowd and you know they might not can afford those tickets at this point and you know trying to get hotel rooms and those things so uh, there's a lot of things impacting people's decision to be able to go sit in the stands and, and watch an NHRA event but I don't think any of them are uh, feeling like it's a lack of entertainment I, I think they're just as entertained today as they've ever been it's just you know 
too many circumstances right now keeping people from being able to go. Yeah, and I can't speak too much to the 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 mindset of the professional teams because that's a whole different world that I'm I'm not privy to. But my general assumption would be this: I think that the the bigger teams, the better funded teams, this is a, a blip on the radar because what they can win at the event is a very minimal part of their revenue model, right? That that money's coming in from sponsorship for the most part. Now I will. Yep. I think, and my understanding is it's been a pretty significant hit to most of these pro teams not being able to have hospitality trailers. They make a lot of money off the hospitality end specifically. And a lot of those deals are structured around that. And then you take away events. And I would assume that most of your sponsorship deals are, you know, at least to some extent predicated on being at the races. So their income is down, revenue is down all the way across. I just would say that the actual race winnings are maybe not insignificant, but a a small part of that revenue. I think where this hurts is some of the lower budget teams that don't necessarily have the other, the additional revenue streams that depend on that qualifying money, you know, to make it to the next event that, uh, you know, if they win first round, it, 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 everybody gets a bonus. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I could see hurting. Um, and, and, I think those teams are struggling to make sense of things to begin with, uh, given the, the current dynamic, and this just makes it harder yet. But again, I don't necessarily, I, 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 don't, have, uh, I don't have access to NHRA spreadsheets, but I can't imagine it's pretty right now. Uh, my assumption is that they're doing what they have to do to, to keep this thing going in, in some perspective, so, or in some respect. Yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. All right, so outside did, of the Labor Day 100K and the big go at Indy, we had two other big events on the weekend. We're just going to breeze through them uh, relatively quickly and then get into our, uh, our fun top five segment for the day. Uh, Division 6 ET Finals, they kicked off. It was the first of the seven divisions, and it traditionally is the first one on the calendar to host the Summit ET Finals. Uh, this year's Division 6 Finals were in Boise, the notable winners in Division 6 uh, and Division 7, I believe, are the two that do it a little bit different. The the champion send to the Summit ET runoff comes from the Race of Champions, not from the traditional ET finals. So our two Race of Champions winners from uh, Division 6 in the Pro and Super Pro classes, Pro, Ken Suio. I hope that's – I hope I didn't butcher that for you, Ken. And a familiar name here on the podcast in uh, in Pro, Andy Schmall. They will be representing Division Six and what I believe now will be Vegas, where they host the uh, the Summit ET runoff. It will be in Vegas, and you nailed that. It is Ken Swio. Um, Ken drives the um, the little small Mopar. It's a beautiful little car. I think it's I don't even know what it is, Luke, but it's a really neat car. And then of course Andy Small. Um, my goodness, what does Andy not win? So going to the uh, to the division or to the world finals and it will be in Vegas as you said a um, couple of guys that uh, have run some fling events so very familiar with them and I've watched both of them make excellent runs so I'm sure there'll be a handful in Vegas as impressive as the performances of Andy Schmall and Ken Suio are and were I think if we got to crown an MVP from Boise it's got to be young summer field did you read this note Jen Yes, I did. It is very impressive. Summer, uh, young lady racer, actually not sure her age. It's got to be 
between 13 and 16, right? Summerfield, winner of the Junior Dragster Gambler on Friday night. Runner-up in the Junior Lightning final on Saturday. Really good weekend, right? Oh, by the way, Summerfield also won the Junior Street category, which is uh, it's a really cool NHRA class that we don't see a whole lot on this side of the country. Uh, it's basically for... Mark can pipe in and can tell me the exact age bracket, but I think it's 13 to 17 year olds. They race a full size streetcar with a licensed driver in the passenger seat. It's like your, uh, it's like your learner's permit version of, of NHRA drag racing. So Summerfield, in addition to her two junior drag extra final rounds, won the junior street class on Saturday and won the junior street class on Sunday. That, I mean, the only thing that I can compare that to Jed is, a Gage Birch performance from what five plus years ago that kind of set the table for what we've seen from Gage since yeah. Gage did something similar at the division two bracket finals uh, in Atlanta. Uh, it's impressive stuff from, from Miss Summerfield. Yeah. Sounds very familiar to what, uh, for, from what Gage did a few years ago, I think he collected four Wallies at that event, but um, I would assume this is a, you know, a, a division ET finals. So, this wasn't one of those deals where there were just a handful of cars in summer's class. I, this was probably very well attended. So um, it takes a lot of talent and focus and ability to, to accomplish what summer did. So that, that's a very strong performance out of her. And hopefully uh, we get to hear plenty more from summer as the, the years progress. She gets up there whooping up on us. One other uh, quick uh, event to just highlight the results from, from the weekend. Uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier, SFG came to Columbus, National Trail Raceway, Columbus, Ohio, for a three-day event, 25000 to win Friday and Sunday, uh, sandwiched a 50 grander on Saturday. Quick results from there. Will Holloman, Friday winner, 25 grander over Larry Hawk. Uh, Saturday's $50,000 marquee event, Jason Hoff was the winner over Matt Richeza. Uh, Richeza, it says here, I know he was driving Matt Dadis's Camaro, correct, Jed? That is correct. Really nice one, too. Made it to the final off the bottom, swapping feet. That's what I'm talking about, Matt. That's a man going for your heart, Big Jed. Bottom Bulbers had a great weekend, or great time Labor Day weekend. Uh, and another instance of that, Sunday is 25 grander. The weekend capped off at Columbus. Billy Rowe got the win over Jason Newell. Newell, another bottom bulber. Bottom bulber, who, by the way, laid down 10 total, five dead five in the final for the loss. Billy Rowe got mm. it. <laughs> That <laughs> sounds like Billy Rowe made a really good run, Luke. Uh, well, just by process of elimination, I would say so, yeah. Uh, there it is. Six, Six total. total. Six beats 10. Yep, Six. got four change. He, he was 40% worse than – than Billy Rowe. Hmm. All right, Jed, let's take a quick break. Let's pay a few bills, and then we will come back with this week's version of our illustrious and ever-popular Top 5. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on 
Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises, that's BTE, here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, That's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at BTE Racing. Jed, this will be the the latest of our top five segment, as we said before the break. This may well be the most anticipated and ballyhooed top five that we've ever done for multiple reasons. Yeah, this thing's been extended for a few shows now, and which is even more pressure on me, Luke. And (laughs) I don't like my list. I, I pride myself on being able to put a story with my list and, and trying to better you because you're hard to beat at stuff, but sometimes my list and my my explanations are better than yours. But you got a good record. Oh, it? this one's not feeling really good. Our top five is definitely lean your way. If you are a loyal listener to the podcast, you'll remember we did a show. It's probably been six, eight episodes back where we talked about the greatest race car names, right? The actual name and, it, and our rule for it was they had to be on the side of the race car, right? Yes. Within that discussion, we stumbled onto, no, no, the post race message, like on the deck lid of a door car, just a little something to rub the salt in the wound of the opponents. You don't see these that often anymore. You don't see the, the, the race car names on the side of cars anymore either. But every now and then, you'll see a good one. So we, 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 we spun off a little bit. These are our top five post-race messages on the back of the cars. Jed, I know you're not super excited about your list. Do you want to kick this off? I can, Luke. I mean, it really don't matter. But I just want to get it over with and let you raise your hand in victory. Well, and I, I guess I forgot the good part of this because we had a, initially intended on – including this and we actually had our notes and everything to roll uh like four episodes ago and we got to talk and i know that's a shock to you listeners especially those of you that are listening an hour and 15 minutes into this show that <laughs> we got a little bit long-winded and uh we just pulled <laughs> on it because we were tired of talking we're like i ah, will do this another time well we didn't really communicate that with producer mark it was one of the, the episodes producer mark was little egan so we were trying to record on our own which we normally fumble pretty significantly and uh, we just sent everything to producer Mark. Well, what I sent to producer Mark was the original outline that had <laughs> this discussion in it that didn't actually make the show. And uh, 
producer Mark, if you want to hop in, like put everything together, posted it, made the Facebook post, and this was the highlight, and it wasn't actually in the episode. So here we are a month later with our, our top five post-race messages. Yeah, it was, um, it was poor communication, which is the cause of most failures, Luke. I mean, 99.9% .9 of failures is a lack of communication, and yeah. shame on us. Par for the course for our podcast. The bright, the bright side is that uh, it got a lot of traction in the comments. Um, even though it wasn't in the show, it got a lot of traction. I'm a little disappointed in the people that were commenting because I'm pretty sure they didn't listen to the show. So if you guys all want to listen to the show and then come and comment, that would be awesome. Yeah, well, for those that aren't listening to the show, they're not going to hear this anyway. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Appreciate the Facebook. Busted. <laughs> you loyal listeners don't even listen. Loyal listeners. <laughs> Both of you. We appreciate you guys for sticking yeah. around. All right. So, top five, Big Jed. Where are we starting? Luke, this was on uh, this is on the side of a car, and it was on the back of a car. In my childhood, back in the 80s, is when I first saw this. And to this day, uh, I will still see it on occasion. But it was simply said, hooked up and gone. And if you're going to be reading that on somebody's car, you should be reading it on the back of it. So it was, it was a, a, a family that was kind of known as hooked up and gone. I think it was the Lloyd family out of uh, the, the western part of Georgia, but hooked up and gone. I, that's really not a funny saying or something that's going to get you juiced up, but just it, was, it just stuck with me. And it just, you know, I mean, how many times... Have we been hooked up and gone in our racing career? A not lot. as often as we'd like. Not sometimes. Not, <laughs> not as often as we'd like. So, hooked up and gone made my number five just from a, just for the historical value. I didn't really have mine in numeric order, but I'll, I'll, just, I'll just go with it. So I'll, let's go. Number five for me would be I first saw this on a car when I wasn't old enough. My virgin eyes shouldn't have seen this on a car, right? And it was I think, tried and true. It's probably the most common Declan saying ever and probably spans across all forms of motorsports, but it's sucking gas and hauling. You know what rhymes with gas. And, ah, I think I know what you're talking about. Okay, good, good. Didn't want to lose you. So I saw this at Texas Raceway. I was probably in third, fourth grade. And it was actually, I'm 99% sure. It's amazing how, over the course of 30 plus years, our memories get a little bit foggy and we tend to, to we tend to make up stories that seem are <laughs> in the, in the time. Right. Yeah, so I swear to this, but I think the first time that I saw this saying, it was actually on the back of the Chevelle station wagon that now belongs to one Willie Burnett, the Olathe outlaw. Cause that car I, 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 was at the track I grew up at. Okay, so pretty sure that one said sucking gas in Holland. And it may still, because I don't think that Willie has wiped a thing off of that car. So that actually may still be on the back. Funny story related to this. So my fifth grade self is drawing, you know, race cars instead of listening to whatever, you know, I'm supposed to be doing in class. And uh, I went through a phase where every car just had, I had 
penciled that on it, right? Sucking gas and hauling, because that's cool, especially when you're in fifth grade. <laughs> and a classmate of mine, who I, if memory serves, was involved in circle track racing somehow. Dad, circle track race or something. There was a, there was a lot of racetracks in Canada, right? Two circle tracks plus the drag strip. And he saw that on my desk, and he got mad. He's like it was a proprietary thing. That's on the back of my dad's late model car. That's our saint. Like he wanted to fight about it. I'm like, wow, okay, well maybe, maybe I'm not being original here, but I saw it on the back of a drag car. Twenty years later, I realized that that was on you know eight dozen cars across the country if not more it was a pretty popular saying but that one always stuck with me sucking gas hauling but that's uh so you're already one up uh, that was way better than hooked up and gone about all of these oh man this is bad <laughs> all right look my number four this is on the back of uh, a yellow chevelle driven by one tony allman which is a local guy I've been racing with 30 years. And this has been on the back of his car, I think, since he built it. It simply says, get in, sit down, shut up, and hang on. Very simple set of rules. If you want in, this is what you do. Just sit down, shut up, and hang on. Which I really don't have much of a story for it. I just thought it was cool. Sounds like on my list. I'm about to go two down. Sounds like that should be on a t-shirt. Um, should be. So my next one would be, and I saw this in the in the Facebook comments from uh, from that episode that we just discussed. But it was on my list prior to that, uh, and it's it's paying homage to uh, to Johnny Horton. May he rest in peace. But on the back of Johnny's cars, and Brian has kept the tradition alive. It simply says, "I win." Because you suck. And uh, if you knew Johnny Horton, that was fitting. Because that's just kind of the way Johnny operated. Like, no, I'm, I'm better than you. And we're about to prove it. Like, I didn't do anything special. You're just not very good at this. <laughs> that, was, that was just kind of the way he carried himself. It was very fitting. I love seeing it every time that I see the boo. It makes me think of Johnny, obviously, and uh, who tragically passed away in an on-track incident, which it has been a long time ago now, probably 12, 15 years ago. But, um, but no, I, that one I always thought was good in the day, and now uh, it, it's obviously got a little bit more meaning behind it, but that's, it's one of my favorites. I win because you suck. Which is the exact reason you're up 2-0 on the list. <laughs> Here's where I become very ashamed of my list, Luke. Oh, it gets better. I, no, I'm ashamed. It gets worse. As they, they should be progressing and getting better because I'm at number three, it starts to go downhill right here really bad. And I'm ashamed, but I don't look at a whole lot of cars at the back of them. I don't, I don't walk through the pit seeing what you got on your car. You're too busy winning. You're too busy in front. But this... You probably need to go ahead and just get prepared to go straight into your number three. There will be no explanation for this or why it's on my list. And I've had this on here for three or four weeks. So shame on me. I should have went in and changed it. But I haven't. Number three is a gentleman that races my local tracks. A nice little 67, 68 Camaro. 
Super nice guy. But for some reason, I'm so ashamed right now. For some reason, the back of it, right on the back center, right there where the gas cap is, says Muff Doctor. Luke, what is your number three? <laughs> we will not discuss this. I will not discuss that one at all. Uh, there's no explanation for me even having it on my list. I'm ashamed of myself. So I'd like you to move on to your number three, please, and go 3-0. All right, moving forward. Um, <laughs> I'll go. This was actually a license plate on the back of Terry Sullivan's uh, Trans Am that was a perennial top 10 super gas finisher and shoot probably the late. 80s early 90s right this is this is this is pulling way back from my youth and i don't know if this will go over as well without the optics because it was a license plate you know you don't really write full words on a license plate you got to shorten it up a little bit but the license plate said uh, let me spell it out maybe, maybe you can picture it b-l-u-b-y-u doug richardson oh same thing Okay, so Terry was may not have been original. I would, perhaps Doug wasn't original. Who knows? Blue Bayou. Because, you know, like, when he beats you. Ah. Went by you, blue. Blue by you. Not the color blue. It's like blue, like went around you, blew your doors off. Yeah. See, Get it? Yeah. See, if I had, if I was to put that on my car, I would, I would do B-L-U-B. Y A Blue Baya. Oh, that's even better. Why didn't they think of that? Yeah, why didn't they? I don't know, man. I think I think it's a little bit um sign of the times. Like am I am I a prisoner to that because of my age? It seems like yeah came along like two thousands. Like that became the thing. Yeah, it could have been a Y two K thing. Yeah. Like it used to be see you later. That changed. It's see you later. So given the time, like I, I think that was actually like time appropriate. Yeah, it's probably the the texting age, yeah. uh, the the texting phase that that got started, because you had to shorten everything in text. Good point. It's like yeah, text took the license plate thing to a whole other level. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. But even though that should have been blue by you, you're still up three zero. <laughs> And and I'm I'm done. I mean, I'm, the series is over. But much like an all-state challenge or something, we're going to just go ahead and finish it out. We'll run all five. Uh, again, another level of shame for my number two selection. Um, don't know why I picked these stupid things. The pride you have in your list. But this is I've seen this on trucks. I've seen this on you know. 18 wheelers I've seen on everything, but I did see it on a race car before. And although you were reluctant to say sucking gas and hauling ass on your list, I said this one was grass, gas, or ass. Nobody rides for free. <laughs> so, Luke, basically what that's saying is <laughs> I need some product. I need some fuel, <laughs> or I need some loving, but you ain't riding for free. <laughs> I so. feel like somewhere in here, there's there's a there's a Hannah Blevins mention because like we're all out of bubble gum, right? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, <laughs> I understand. I know exactly what you're saying. That I don't know that I've seen that on the back of the car, but that that someone someone somewhere has. I came here to chew gum and kick. I'm about out of gum, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I again very ashamed. I apologize to anybody that was that didn't have enough going on that they're still listening to this. <laughs> but you didn't expect much different, so shame on you. All right, so my number two, I'll go, I think I'll just go 1-800-anything. Like, I, I had, I'll tell you what I had on my list, but it, uh, just recently, maybe in the process of this conversation, it made me think of, I'm pretty sure I've seen this somewhere. How is my driving? Call 1-800-BUYBACK, right? Like, that's a good one, right? <laughs> but the one that sticks out to me that I had on my list was the old Peabody Harrell driving school decals. I know you've seen them. Peabody Harrell School of Drag Racing, one eight hundred dump them. Rest in peace. That that's perfect. And, and along those same lines, do you remember? Uh, and, and I actually, I think it's still a uh, it's still a company. Uh, what's the <clears throat> what's the real popular uniform provider? Cintas. Is that right? Yeah, the Cintas one. Yeah. One of their main competitors is called Uniform First, and their logo was just a big U the letter U and the word first, or it might've just been the one ST, but it was a cool looking logo. And I think it was Benny Ulmer and, and maybe Benny jr. But they put that on the nose of their dragsters. And I'm like, Oh, that's pretty good. Right? Like, I don't think they had a uniform first sponsorship. It was just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to drop you. You first 100 dump them. Right. So <laughs> along the, like, it just makes me think like I, I could just see Peabody. Those of you that, that, that knew Peabody, <laughs> You know, hey, um, did you see that guy follow him through to be under? And Peabody would be like, I need to take that man a business card, right? And it just, it makes me think of my days at Huntsville Engine because that was kind of our running joke. Somebody would kick the rods out and Bones would, I should go hand that guy a business card. He needs some help, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought grass, gas, or ass, nobody rides for free was a pretty good one. And I, I thought I could possibly just get on the board, but I didn't. You're up 4-0. Uh, nothing else for your, you, you referencing the late, great Peabody Harrell. Um, and that, that scored the points right there. That was a bonus point. So I'm down 4-0, Luke. And I got a Peabody story. Okay, I'm in. So I roll into my first year of IHRA 90 racing, you know, the rod classes. So this is, 2006 somewhere around that timeline and Peabody had been killing them in IHRA super rod right the 990 category and I knew Peabody vaguely you know from the bracket racing in the southeast things like that and uh, I'm at Rockingham working on my car the day before whatever national event and Peabody comes riding up yeah gonna try this IHRA thing huh it's easy and I said, man, I never said it's easy. It, it looks like fun. You know, it's a pretty good deal, this and that. He goes, no, you'll do fine, man. You're a good racer. The one thing you got to remember, it's a little different. When you go bracket racing, good as you hit the tree nine times out of ten, you want that finish line. And you're right. You come over here where they pick the dial in for you, <laughs> 
you don't always want that finish line. And he rode off. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, sounds just like him. <laughs> One eight hundred dumb from baby. Words of advice. All right, Luke. Uh, I've reached. I'm reaching a new level of shame from a number one selection, and this is not even on the car anymore because this racer bottom bobbed um, exclusively, but in the last couple of years has started hitting the top quite a bit. Still bottom bobs, but has started hitting the top, and his friends wouldn't let him. Wouldn't let him buy with having this on the back of his car anymore. Yeah, I used to think it was cool, but now that I've got to discuss it in a you know in a open forum like this, it's it's not so cool anymore. But it did make my number one on the list. So Brock Mosier had on the back of his Vega wagon. Delay boxes are for so. I don't want to say the word, but what I can tell you is if you took the word puddings and you took the word wussies and you jumbled it up and tried to make a, a nasty word out of it, you would get what he thinks delay boxes are for. I don't want to discuss it anymore, Luke. <laughs> I just want to go down 5 and go lay on the couch. And nowadays... Brock Mosier, who's still, I think, one of the elite footbrake racers in the country, competes just as often with the use of delay box. Yeah, yeah. So he had to take it off his car because his buddies wouldn't let him buy with it because he uses one. And they said, if you're going to put that on your car, then you're basically uh, condemning yourself. And you're, you're one of the people you talk about. So he had to take it off. I think it just says delay boxes now. I think they took R for puddings off. It just says delay boxes? Yeah, I think it just says delay boxes. The rest of your imagination? I would have made him put I love delay boxes. I was thinking, right? That, that's what I would think when I saw that, delay boxes. I heart delay boxes. Heart delay boxes. <laughs> <laughs> but Better if you just leave the whole saying on there. I heart delay boxes R for, and, and it just make everybody <laughs> What does that mean? I don't get it. Uh, I'm so ashamed right now. <laughs> okay, yeah. Admittedly, I really thought that you were slow playing me. Your list wasn't great. It was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. All right, number. And one. I referenced Bo Kenny during the podcast, so I'm. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I should be censored right now. Okay, so Bo Kenny uh, famously was the proprietor of a. Um, uh, what is the. Uh, Adult, yeah, adult films. Right? That was yeah. made a lot of money in adult films, and uh, it was uh, shoot. I can't think of the name of it now. Something Z, Sex Z, Sex Z dot com. Uh, yeah, Sexy Productions or something like that. And uh, those adorned the sides of a multi-car stock and super stock team for about two races. <laughs> yeah, trailers and everything. Uh, and I, I raced, I know we need to get to your number one, let you, you know, complete the sweep, but I raced Bo in Gainesville. I, I went down there with Bones and run his stalker and we, we run up and down the track about three times in three days. And then they put my name on a sheet of paper and said, Jay Pennington has B Kenny. 
so I, I go to Bones and I said, he said, who you got? So I got B. Kenny. You got Bo Kenny? You heard this story, Luke? I don't think so. Well, I can't tell it, but I'll tell you off air. But <laughs> I said, if B. Kenny's Bo Kenny, then yeah, I got him. He's like, you don't know who Bo is? I'm like, no, I don't know who Bo is. And then he tells me and I'm like, no way. There's no way. I've been racing a long time. Never raced anybody in adult film industry. He's like, yeah, yeah. That so, you know of. So I'll pick up right there when we get off air. <laughs> you can't do that to the listener. I, I have to. <laughs> when you're ready for this to be our last podcast, <laughs> you let me know. I'll tell the hell out of it. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I guess we'll leave it at that. Um, yeah. So. Uh, okay. So my number one. Um, <laughs> I think we've all seen some version of this. Right, it's just in uh, plain and simple, and, and again, it's salt in the wounds when the, the, the wind light comes on in the other lane. They pass you at the turnoff, and you read on the back deck lid, game over. Please try again, right? <laughs> like what just happened. We don't get to do this again until next week. I actually like the extended version, and this is another one of those where memory fades. I don't know that I actually saw this on a race car, or perhaps I dreamt it up. If it hasn't been on a race car, it should. You got to take this to the next level, right? You just leave out the game over completely. Go back to the, the arcade days, like circa Galaga, right? All it should say on the back of the car is insert token to play again. <laughs> and I just, when I, when I even say that, I think of, I know you've seen Dazed and Confused, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, remember Ben Affleck's character? It was like the first Ben Affleck sighting in a movie. And Ben Affleck played a complete dick. Like it was the guy that, that repeated uh, his senior year of high school just so that he could be the, the bully again. Right? You, wouldn't, you wouldn't say haul an ass <laughs> you said that. Please. Go, go ahead. Okay, so <laughs> Ben Affleck is at the pool hall just running somebody off the table. And as he's shooting pool, says, is a complete disgrace that I'm allow you to play on the same pool table with me. You are awful. You know, I mean, just runs down the whole line. And that's what I think of when I think of game over. Insert token to try again. Like, you got no freaking business being on the same racetrack as me. So I like it. It's my number one. Uh, that's an excellent number one. And that is a clean, sweet view. Congratulations. Um, I, I do have honorable mention. Um, my man Joe Robertson has bottom ball buster on the back of his Maverick. It's a Maverick with bottom ball buster on the back of it. So that's cool. It's also sure. steer, which should have qualified for one of the top five race car names. Bump steer on the side, yes. And um then I have had I have seen one that said if you're reading this better luck next time. Oh, that's good. I like that. That should have been on my list in place of some of the foul stuff that I had on there. So, again, and I want to apologize to the, both the listeners that are still with us. And uh, just know the next top five, whatever it is, I will do better. Luke, I'd like you to hear something. That's your list? That's it. <laughs> you hear that crumble? <laughs> See, for all of the listeners that are convinced that Big Jet is such a straight arrow, go back and listen to the last 20 minutes again. That's Jet. If they can hear the Bo Kenny story, oh my gosh, I can't wait to tell y'all. <laughs> Let's hurry up and get this show over so I can tell y'all. Somebody came to me like a year or so ago and said, you know, you could charge for like the cuts of the podcast because I know there's more to it than the, you know, I feel like we're getting the censored version. And to be honest, 
I don't think that's ever been the case. We could have a pay-per-view on this, Jed. There's, a, there's opportunity here. Well, uh, you know, if this thing has the potential to make some money by whatever means necessary, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> pay-per-view is, is what it takes. Let's do it, man. I'll tell some stories because I got them. Yeah, this, this, wait, this, you, people make money for doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Luke. All right, so. Wrap this up. Well, I'm sure you yeah. got to be. <laughs> yeah, I just you know, definitely want to thank uh, the people for listening. That, that brings us to a close. I want to thank our sponsors, the people that help bring this show to you uh, each and every uh, week, and certainly whatever products and services that you're in need of when they offer it, look to them, please. We, we want you to support those people. And we also hope that they're not listening. <laughs> yeah, that's an even better point. <laughs> uh, most of them know us well enough. Anyway, uh, Luke, I don't know if you've even got some shouts or if, if this thing's off the rail so bad that we just need to finish it up or what. I don't know that they're worth repeating, but I will give it a shot. <laughs> I'm ready. Shouts to Bo Kenny and Productions. My boy. Shouts to, you never came out and say it, but I'm going to assume that it is slang for a, a part of the female anatomy. Shouts to Blue Bayou and Blue Bayou. Shouts to Ken Swayo. I'm glad I, I think I just butchered it actually. Yeah, no, you nailed it. Nailed it again. Awesome. Shouts to Hannah Blevins and Bubblegum. Um, and of course, I mean, the episode would not be complete without a shout to the Muff Doctor. <laughs> you did not. You did not. I just wanted to say that one time and be done with it. I or put it in shouts. It was hard to move what on. Are you, what are you doing? You're the one that brought it up. Get off. Yeah, but I went, I just totally just put it out there and stopped. And you brought it back. Oh my gosh! It's got to be. I mean, we've brought some things to life here, right? Like, uh, I feel like Andy Klosky's car is a is internet legend. Yes. There's going to be a picture of that saying circulate now because of us. <laughs> uh, so if anybody's some, got, yeah, if anybody's got a picture of Mr. Grissom's uh, Camaro on the back of it, post it up. What the heck? We're totally off the rails. Let's put it out there. So if you have a problem with both Luke and I saying Muff Doctor on the show, please message us right there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Uh, please don't post it to the public. Producer Mark will get it and pass it on if, uh, if you send a private message about your frustrations and anger. Um, uh, if you've got anything else you'd like to discuss with us, please post it right there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you, what we did right, what we did wrong, and I'm sure that's a big list. You know, what you want more of, less of, whatever. Just tell us something. Let us know that you listened. And if you like to tweet, we're right there on Twitter. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I, and I am at JP11X. Check us out on the Twitter. Hit us up, tag us, bag us, snag us, whatever you do on there. We'll respond, and we look forward to hearing from you. Really, thanks for listening. Uh, this show ended very badly, but we appreciate you still being here, and we look forward to talking to you next time about more Sportsman Drag Race.
But in the pits we know the truth And this a way of life If it's the only thing that we do It's always true Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.